Can you look back? You can be seated and see God's faithfulness. Can you do that? Anybody here this morning or is it just me? Amen. God rocked anybody's world? Wow. Thank you, Ben, for singing that this morning. And good morning to all of you. It's great to see you again. Thank you for being here. It's great to have Sean and Debbie Geis with us and their family. They've just moved here from California. So, uh, you don't have to worry about gangs here, but you do have to worry about bear and deer and, and rednecks. So, uh, it's great to have you guys at East Lake. Thank you for being here this morning. And, and all of you, it's good to have all of you with us this morning. So, we are at the end of the opening list of the Constitution to the Kingdom of God, also known as the Beatitudes. These eight conditions, characteristics, constitutional principles that Jesus said, in the kingdom that I have, here's how it's going to work. Rome has its rules, Greece has its rules, Israel has its rules, America has its rules. But the kingdom of God is going to operate by these rules. We've been talking about it for the last eight weeks as though you don't know that. How many of you are glad I'm not going to do much of a review this morning? Denise said, what's the sermon title? I said, blessed and beaten. Doesn't that sound good? I call this the culmination, the culmination of the Constitution. This is where it all goes. This is, the, this is where the work of God and the people of God, this is, in these two or three concluding verses of the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us the progressive path in the life of the one who will be a citizen in his kingdom. It begins in verse 3 with the poor in spirit, and it ends in verses 10, 11, and 12 with what, what he calls our, the persecuted. Let's read it together. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the end of the road. You've heard me say that these beatitudes are not isolated characteristics, they're, they're a connected chain. And, and, the, and the destination point is verses 10, 11, and 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted for right. How many of you are going to need to go home and listen to some Joel Olstein to get back up from this one? Blessed are you, verse 11, when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, go buy an ice cream cone and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus tells us where the road ultimately leads. I want to talk about the ultimate aim of the work of God. Really, I want to, I want to see it in, in sort of three pieces. And I, I want to talk about the idea of being righteous, the idea of being reviled, and the idea of being rewarded. We'll, we'll say it different, but those are, that, that's, really, that's really where I'm headed this morning. You see, no worldview 
No worldview that we're used to, or that the Romans were used to, or the Greeks were used to, or the Jews were used to. None of the worldviews that Jesus was talking to and, and that we're accustomed to, none of these worldviews see persecution as a blessing. You ever see somebody on TV, there's a story about some Christian missionary who got arrested and thrown in prison in Afghanistan. You say, oh my goodness, they're so blessed. Lord, just if that's a blessing, just don't pray. Don't ever say to me, God bless you again, okay? Not even when I sneeze. Because the worldview that we understand, we don't, we don't, it's, it's kind of, it, it, no, no, that's, we're, we're averse to that. And Jesus, though, has been giving us these countercultural principles all along, eight of them. He says, the blessed are the poor in spirit. The blessed are those who mourn over their sin. The blessed are the meek and the mild. The blessed are the hungry and thirsty. The blessed are the merciful. The blessed are the pure in heart, not those who look pure on the outside with all the righteous robe. The blessed are the ones who are really pure on the inside. The blessed are the peacemakers. Rome said, no, 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 peacemakers aren't blessed. Conquerors are blessed. Jesus has given us these countercultural principles, and he gives probably the most countercultural principle of all in verse 10, 11, 12, when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted. You see, the kingdom of God is and has always been. The king, you need to know this. The kingdom of God is and has always been at odds with the kingdom of this world. As a matter of fact, James chapter 4, James says it like this. This is crazy. This is crazy. I'm not sure if I were writing it, I would have said it like this, but I wasn't inspired and anointed and inerrant. James was. And this is what he says. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? And Jesus is teaching us in the, in the Beatitudes that the, the kingdom of God is totally countercultural to the kingdoms of this world. Can I just stop? By the way, I'm going to tell you what I told the other services this morning. This sermon has a lot of exits. And I could get off on them and I could be going down a country road for a while. So you just need to pray that I follow my GPS, okay? God's preaching system. You just need to pray that I follow that. And you better, not hope, you better hope that there's no traffic jams because God's preaching system might just take me on a detour. Amen. But can I just say that it's important that you and I as believers and the church of Jesus Christ not forget this? We do not need to forget that the kingdom of God does not run in harmony with the kingdoms of this world. We've, take the Ameri- we've taken the American church and we tried. We tried to line it up with the philosophies and the systems and the kingdoms of this world, but, but it's never, never been in harmony. This is the opening few verses, few words of Jesus' greatest sermon, introducing the rules to the kingdom of God, and right off the bat, he says, you boys going to get hurt. Right off the bat. That's the Troy Keaton unauthorized, not the Greek version, but anyways, that's what he says. So I want to I see 
in Jesus' teaching here, I think there are really three culminations that I want us to see this morning, and I'll try to hurry. Let me mention to you. Number one, you need to know that the culmination of the work of God in our life is always righteousness. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because they're republicans. Or no, no. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In other words, ultimately the aim is you enter the front door in brokenness and humility and poverty of spirit. But where God is taking you is a life that lives out the righteous, holy plans of God. So that as a couple verses later say, the world might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Make no mistake about it. The work that God is doing in your life, the molding, the shaping, the planning, the work of the Holy Spirit, the teaching of His Word, all of that is aimed towards one thing, and that is to mold you and me into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the work of God. That's the aim. That's the culmination. As a matter of fact, these verses illustrate that. We begin in verse 3 with poverty of spirit. We mourn over our sin. He changes our disposition. He makes us hungry and thirsty after godly things. He then makes, gives us mercy and makes us merciful. He then gives us purity in our heart. He then makes us peacemakers amongst other people. And then we are living out righteousness so much so that the world doesn't like us anymore. The... In other words, Jesus is saying that what I'm, doing, what I'm doing in the lives of the citizens of my kingdom is I'm molding and shaping them into, into the image of myself, into the image of Christ. The purpose of the work of Christ in the life of a believer is to make us righteous and pure and holy. Jesus says that he works in our life in such a way that we get to a point where there's evidence in our life that is offensive to the world that causes them to convict us of righteousness. They don't like us anymore. Jesus says, I, I, I want your life to be, evident, uh, be evidenced by righteousness. Here's an interesting question for us all to ponder. And this, is, this, this sounds a little crazy, so just stay with me. But I want my life, this doesn't sound crazy, but what I'm going to say will. I want my life to reflect the glory of Jesus Christ. That's my desire. I, I can't do that in myself. I, 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 without the help of the Holy Spirit, without the Word of God, without the grace of God in my life, I, I'm an idiot, Okay. And I'm a jerk. But, but with the grace of God and with the Holy Spirit and with the conforming work of the power of the Word of God, good things can happen in an idiot's life. Some of you need to say amen because you were me. And some of you ladies are going, I hope so. Here's a question. If, this is what sounds crazy. If you were put on trial for being holy, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Jesus said, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things pass away. All th-. You see, the purpose and process of Christ's work in us has been clearly shown in the Beatitudes. And in this last Beatitude, Jesus says the culmination is righteousness in our life. What is the righteousness that he's talking about? It's listed. You know, the Beatitudes can be divided, if you, if, to help you understand, really divided into two simple groups. There's the emptying group and the filling group. 
The first four are emptying. You're poor in spirit. You're mourning over your sin. You're repenting. You're getting rid of, you're, you're, you're confessing and unloading. And God is changing you. And then you get to verse number six. And he says, now you're hungry and thirsty, aren't you? you don't, you're empty. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to change your hunger and thirst now. So blessed are the ones who have the fa- gracious favor of God on their life. Blessed are the hunger, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Because now, verse six, I'm going to start filling you. And so the second half of the Beatitudes is Christ filling us. And what is he talking about when he says righteousness sake? He's talking about the Beatitudes. It's, the, it's repenting of sin, confessing of sin, God cleansing us of sin, and then God giving us a hunger and a desire for righteous things, and he began to putting righteousness into us. It's the absence of iniquity and the presence of righteousness in our life through the grace of Jesus Christ. Righteousness, secondly, is Jesus Right? Jesus is the righteousness. He says in the next verse, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. In the next verse, he said, when they say all these things against you, revile you, persecute you, say all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. Jesus is the righteousness. It is on his account, for his name's sake. It is Jesus' nature and character and words. It's his responses, his kindness, his love expressed to the less fortunate. Righteousness is ultimately Jesus reflected in us. It's for his sake. You know, some people, by the way, you know, not everybody that gets persecuted is righteous, right? Some people get persecuted because they're an idiot. How many of you know that the church has produced some nut jobs? I'm using a lot of words this morning that are not probably in the King James. You know, some people say, well, I'm getting, no, you're, sometimes we get persecuted because we're not very smart. Let's just be honest, right? Righteousness is the work of God in me coming out through the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. It is the life of Christ. If you're trying to convince your neighbor something that you believe is true in the Bible and you get in a fist fight and punch them in the face and they come and arrest you, don't say, I'm getting persecuted for righteousness. You're not. You're an idiot. Okay? All right? We don't wrestle against your neighbor and flesh and blood. But Jesus is describing to us what righteousness, it is, it is, it is the things that he has mentioned. It is, it is the work that he's done throughout the Beatitudes. It is himself. It is the continual work of the Holy Spirit in my life. The work of the Holy Spirit is to conform me to the image of God's Son. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, right? You know the verse? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord. Amen? And so your boss comes in grouchy and is a jerk, and then he leaves, and because he's mad, he peels out a little, little bit angry, and he runs over the curb and has a flat tire, and you stand in the window and go, all things work together for good. Praise the Lord today. God is so good. We, uh, we've all misused that verse. You know, verse 29 tells us the good that works out in our life. When God puts all things together, he puts the recipe of good, the bad, the ugly, the fortunate, the unfortunate. He puts it all in a mixer. And it says the good of all of that in verse 29 of Romans 8 is that we would be conformed to the image of his son. So the culmination of the work of God in our life is always righteousness. You see, I, we got this thing in the church world in America, and I got to hurry, but I really don't because I don't have another service. But anyways, um, we got this thing in the church world in America that we believe God, the goal of Christianity is to make me happy, right? God wants me to be happy. 
He wants me to be happy. My wife doesn't make me happy. I need to go get another. My wife makes me very happy. I'm speaking in the third person, somebody else. My husband, my wife doesn't make me happy. I need to go. You know what I'm saying? We think God wants me to be happy, and that's the goal. Everything about Christ make me happy. Well, if, if the goal of Christianity was to make us happy, why would Jesus end the Beatitudes of saying, you're going to get hurt? Right? He said, actually, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have true happiness, but in the true happiness, you're going to get hurt. Because the goal of Christianity and the work of God in our life is not to make us happy. It's to make us holy. And how many of you know when you pursue sensual pleasures, you never really find happiness, but when you allow God to make you the person that he wants you to be and you experience his holiness and his righteousness, that actually you find true contentment. I'm not going to get a televangelist gig preaching like that, but anyways. (laughs) GPS, amen. So the aim of the work of Christ in our life is that we might grow into spiritual maturity more and more through the power of the Holy Spirit, fulfill the righteous requirements of God, that the world might see our good works, glorify our Father who is in heaven, and then maybe even turn against us. Because ultimately, the work of God in us produces holiness. So notice, secondly, however, the righteous life always culminates in us being in conflict with the world. Ultimately, holiness in our life produces hatred. I told you a few minutes ago that, um, that the, world, the system of God's kingdom and the system of this world are in opposition, right? They're going two different directions. So when you live out the holy principles of God's plan for your life, it makes you at odds with those who are against that. And this is exactly why Jesus is teaching this to these disciples, the culmination of following Jesus and doing what he says will put you at odds with the systems, the beliefs, the morality and practices of a sinful world. This is what Jesus taught and the apostles experienced. You can see these, look at these verses, you know these already. Second Timothy chapter 3, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It didn't say all who get involved in politics. It didn't say all who like a certain sports team. It didn't say all who are just being mistreated because they're, they, people don't like them. No, no. He says all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. John 15, if the world hates you, Jesus said, know that it has hated me before it hated you. First John 3, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. John 15, 20, remember the word that I said to you. Again, Jesus comes back to that. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Jesus culminates this list of beatitudes by saying that the culmination of doing the will of God will put you at odds with the systems of this world. What are you saying, Pastor Troy? Are you saying we're just told to be weirdos? No, don't try to be a weirdo. Some of us are close enough without any trying, okay? <laughs> don't try to be a weirdo. Just do what the Holy Spirit leads you through the Word of God and the grace of God in your life wants you to do, Right? How many of you know that persecution is not new, right? Church history is littered with it. I've done, uh, I did quite a bit of reading this week, and it, it, was, it was one of those roads I could have gone down for a long time. But throughout church history, believers have suffered persecution. It's, it's, been the, it's the way it's been. In one place, Jesus said, listen, guys, here's the deal. They're going to run you out of the church. They're going to beat you, and they're even going to kill you, and then they're going to say they're doing it for the Lord. This was early on. This is right at the beginning. 
And this has been the case. They, Christians have been beaten and ridiculed and defamed. They've suffered poverty and isolation, betrayal and disgrace. They've been hounded, harassed and murdered. The heroes of faith have always been those who sacrificed their lives, their fortunes and reputations for the sake of the gospel. You know, there were a, a martyr. When the term martyr developed, I was interested to read this this week, that a martyr was someone who gave their life for the faith, right? They wouldn't, and they were murdered. But there were those who were beaten and, 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 and imprisoned and all this, and they, weren't, they didn't die, and they refused to be called a martyr. They were called confessionists, I think is what they called them. But they would not take the name of a martyr because they didn't feel like they, had, they were worthy of being called a martyr. But this is the history of the church. This is the history of the church. John Huss was a Czechoslovakian priest and a philosopher and early Christian reformer. He lived before Luther and Calvin. He's considered the first church reformer. He played a pivotal role in the uh, Protestant Reformation before it happened. His teachings influenced Martin Luther. He was burned at the stake for heresy against the doctrines of the Catholic Church. The The church... Burned him at the stake. As you know, in the mid-16th century, Bloody Mary was, was brutal in this regard. Moments before his death, the imperial marshal asked him one final time to recant what he had taught. And it was in regards to the cross of Christ and all of that. It was deep stuff. Recant what you have taught against the church. And he responded, God is my witness that the principal intention of my preaching and all my other acts or writings are solely that I might turn people from sin to Jesus. And the church was crucifying him for preaching against sin. Oh my, I see an exit. I could get lost off this exit, folks. The church, in so many ways and places, is trying to identify and line up. They want to be accepted by the world. And, oh man, I just better get back on the highway. It's true. They, 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 they crucified him, or they, they burned him at the stake. And in that truth, he said, of the gospel that I wrote, taught, and preached, in accordance with the sayings and the expositions of holy writers, I am willingly glad to die today. And the executioner lit the fire, and he burned to death at the stake. Persecution is not new. It's, persecution is not old. In other words, it's not outdated. That, that sounds far and way off in the wild blue yonder, but did you know, according to Open Doors and Voice of Martyrs, more Christians have been killed for their faith in the last hundred years than all ages combined? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Between 2006 and 2011, there were 145 countries where Christians were being harassed and persecuted because of their beliefs. Christians have a 10% greater likelihood to be harassed for their beliefs than Muslims and twice that as Jews. Between 1917 and 1980, 15 million Christians died while living in prison camps where they were placed because of their faith. And it's estimated that 100 million Christians are being persecuted for their faith right now around the world. Say, Pastor Troy, what are you trying to do? Scare us all? No, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you what Jesus said is actually true. And we're happy to be blessed to live in this country. Amen? But persecution is not void here in America. It might be. It might be as simple as the mockery of your coworkers because you do not engage in their ungodly behavior. It might be an academic condescension towards you because of your belief in the Bible or creation. 
It might be a lack of promotion because of your commitment to be dishonest. It might be that you are ridiculed for your stand on traditional marriage or because you oppose abortion or you believe the the Bible to be the authoritative word of God. Listen, Jesus said, all who will live godly in this world will suffer persecution. Can I just stop here for a minute and just say this? It's okay. It's okay. There's worse things in this world than not being liked. Amen? I mean, can I, can I just tell, tell us, as I said a moment ago, the church needs to re, remarry this thought. And the thought is that we're not like the world. Right? We, we live according to the principles of the kingdom of God. And the church has become so worldly and the world has become so churchy that you can't see the difference between the two. And we have, Glenn, Glenn sent a video to us this week that a church had a special needs mother this past Easter, a special needs mother, this was on the news, and we, sent, we saw the video. This mother took her special needs child to this church, a large church, on Easter Sunday, and the kid made a noise, and they come and ushered her out. And when they went, the news, the news television station, this was in Greensboro, the television station went to the church and said, you know, what's your thought on that? And the church said, oh, we don't do ministry, we do worship. I don't even know what that means. I've been around the church a long time. It's like a Christian nightclub. We just rock out. That's all we do. You know what I'm saying? God, help us. Listen, church, let's just, let's just embrace this idea. It's okay. If they think you're stupid because you don't believe in four billion years of monkey-to-man evolution, it's Okay. If evolution was in the Bible, we would be laughed out of town. Think about it. If that was in the first book of Genesis, they would laugh us out of town. It's okay. I'm not worried about I'm not arguing that. I'm not It's okay. It's okay. Stand up for what is right. Stand up for what you know to be the word of God. Don't be ugly, be humble, be gracious, be kind, be compassionate. But but don't don't cave. Don't compromise. Jesus said all who end up righteous according to my development in their life. Guess what, guys? This is, the last, this is the last one. Last base you're going to touch. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. And then he tells us where that culminates. And that is this, that persecution ultimately culminates in the blessing of God being poured out in our lives. Amen. So, so righteousness culminates in us being at odds with the world which leads to persecution and persecution leads to hallelujah I get the reward that he's been preparing for me for 2,000 years persecution leads me to see God in his unveiled face face to face is it any wonder Jesus said rejoice and be glad Listen, the worst thing they can do to you, Jesus said, and and make no mistake, Jesus was thinking death here for these dudes. The worst thing they can do, the worst thing they can do to you, what is it? The worst thing that they can usher you into the unveiled presence of God. On your worst day, he began, blessed are the poor in spirit, for you'll be brought into the spiritual kingdom of God. He ends, blessed are those who are persecuted, because on your worst day on earth, you're going to be ushered right into the kingdom, for theirs is the kingdom of God. 
The worst thing they can do to you is usher you into the unveiled presence of God where you will receive your reward that Christ has been building up for you since the beginning of time. And as a matter of fact, the scripture says you're going to receive a hundredfold. Can we all just agree? I, I was reading about the martyrs this, this week, and, and th- there was this one place in, in church history where there were these, at this place, the, the trees grew real low, long, low limbs. And the only places the Christians could assemble were they would hide under those trees. That was the only place they could assemble. So we live in America with some bad laws and some idiot politicians who don't like us. And so they make fun of us on CNN. Who cares? Amen. If they all get mad and come in here and arrest me and chop my head off in the parking lot. That sounds gruesome, but anyways, you are going to need some Joel. You are going to need some Joel Osteen. But anyways, if they do that to me, it's okay. It's okay. The, the culmination of the worst that the world can do to us is the best that God can do for us. Wow. It's when Satan attacked Christ and he thought uh, Daniel, Daniel Steele, the, the great theologian, said, not Daniel Steele, somebody's laughing, Daniel Steele. Daniel Steele was a theologian, and he said, if Satan schemed the death of Jesus, he never more fatally wounded his own cause. So here's, hatred from the world produces heaven. Here's what you need to remember when we suffer. Number one, we're not the first. He said, rejoice and be glad because there are those who came before you. We're not the first. We're not the first. It's okay if people don't like us. It's okay if we're not popular. It's okay to some degree if we're marginalized. It's okay. We're not the first. Second, secondly, we're an amazing company. <laughs> Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. You're with me. He said, so they persecute the prophets who were before you. So here's what it looks like. It's you, Jesus, and the prophets. Jeremiah, Jesus, and Mitch. That's pretty good company, isn't it, Mitch? Jeremiah, Jesus, and Sean. Jeremiah, Jesus, and Jeff. JJJ, what do you know about that? That's not bad company, right? He said, you're not alone. Heaven will be worth it all. Great. I broke these words down, but I'm not going to take the time to. Great is your reward in heaven. That's a lot of preaching right there. Knowing all of this, we can rejoice. Knowing all of this, we're not alone. We're not the first. We got Jesus on our side. We're with the prophets. Knowing that heaven's going to be worth we can rejoice. I read this week, they took these guys out to burn them at the stake. They were going to tie them to the stake. And those guys leaned over and kissed the stake. How could they do that? Because they knew this. They knew that great was their reward in heaven. One guy, they beat him a hundred times with this terrible whip. They said his, it described his back as absolutely shredded. He turned to them and said, thank you for hitting me with those roses. How could he say that? Not in the human. I got news for you. He could only say it because he believed what Jesus said. If you're persecuted, great is your rejoice and be exceeding. Great is your reward in heaven. I close with this quote. John Piper says, Jesus can say this because he knows. Oh, you got to hear this. You got to hear this. 
Jesus can say this because he knows beyond any shadow of a doubt that the reward of heaven will more than compensate for any suffering we must endure in the service of Christ. Listen, listen, listen. There's a mystery here, the mystery of joy in the midst of agony, the mystery of gladness in the midst of misery and groaning. And this mystery is contained in a miracle, namely the miracle of faith. Oh, listen, you got to know this. Listen, the bedrock assurance that heaven is a hundredfold compensation for every pain. To the degree that you believe what Jesus sees in heaven, to, the, to that degree you will be able to rejoice and be glad in suffering. Matthew 19, verse 29, Jesus said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. A hundredfold. You didn't hear me. He said a hundredfold. You know what? I don't want to be a martyr. I don't want to act like I'm cool and tougher than I am. But in all right now, you know what I'm feeling? Bring it on. Jesus said, if you've forsaken mother, father, houses, land, anything, whatever, you'll receive a hundredfold, and then I'll give you eternal life. Oh, is it any wonder he said, blessed, the ones who are going to have the gracious, favorable hand of God upon their life are those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Their reward in heaven is going to be great. Paul understood this, and he said this, for this slight, slight momentary affliction is preparing for us eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison because we don't look at the things that are seen, but we are looking at things that are unseen. Hallelujah. This is the culmination of God's work in our life. Ultimately, His work in our life on earth culminates in holiness. Holiness culminates in us being at odds with the world because they're not holy. Being at odds with the world might culminate in persecution. And when they... Do whatever they're going to do to us. And when we breathe our last breath, you know what that culminates in? Great is your reward in heaven. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Oh, listen, so what's the takeaway? The takeaway is simply this. Are you letting God do his work in your life to form you into his image? Some of us like to form God into our image, don't we? I do sometimes. I like to form him into my... His work is designed to form us into his image. Let him do his work. Are you letting God make you a shining light in the world in which you live. Don't cave. Don't compromise. Don't compromise. Don't cave. Because God has prepared for us an eternal weight of glory. James says, count it all joy. And he goes down in those verses and he says, because you're going to receive a crown that never fades away. Oh, this is the culmination of the work of God in our life. Jesus, we love you. We need you. I pray for us this morning. I pray for everyone that's listening online, watching online, those in the chapel. I pray for this group standing here in front of me this morning. I pray for them right now in the mighty name of Jesus, Lord, that you would move in their life. If someone is holding back on you moving them towards righteousness, would you just through the grace of God pour into their life right now? Change their heart, oh God. Lord, if someone's caving to the world around them, would you just help them to, just help them to yield to you, Lord, and just not be afraid to be the light, the salt. All of that that you told us that you wanted us to be. And Lord, I pray that you would give grace and strength and reprieve to those who are under persecution right now all around the world. Oh God, would the Holy Spirit of God be mighty and powerful in their life right now, some dark prison cell. Lord, somewhere there are men and women who are separated from their families because of their faith in you. 
Oh, Jesus, would you be their comforter this morning? Oh, would you fill them, oh God, afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit? And would you help them to see this truth and know this truth and believe it and find grace as they feast upon it, we pray. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For more information about Eastlake Community Church, please visit us online at eastlake-church.com or find us on your favorite social media platform at EastlakeSML. Thanks for joining us.